Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Last week I referred to a visit my wife and I made to the church that my daughter and her family attend out in California where they live now. I mentioned what I thought was a very novel and unusual object lesson that the senior pastor had used at the end of his sermon on one of the Sundays we were able to visit. The object lesson was an elastic band. The explanation was that this elastic band kept on one's wrist during the week following the sermon would serve as a real, practical and unavoidable reminder of the meaning behind that week's sermon. Every time it was noticed, each time it was felt, the individual would automatically bring to mind thoughts about how wonderful is the love of God, how measureless and yet how free, that a holy God would express such grace in his love for fallen humanity and would provide reconciliation and redemption without price, free to all who will accept it. This truly deserves our entire love in return as a thankful response. As I say, I thought it was a very practical and valuable lesson, one that served a pure motive and a worthwhile agenda. The pastor had suggested at the close of this powerful message that people wanting to participate should come forward to receive an elastic band during the worship period that followed the sermon. There was a period of a few minutes as the music and songs began when no one moved. Then a growing surge of worshippers began to make their way forward. Young people, older people, mothers with infants in arms, even a man with a walker were among the many people who went forward that day. It was thrilling to see. When we talked about it after the service, someone observed how special it was when one realizes that this was happening, actually happening in California, a very liberal and so-called progressive state. This is obviously a church that is motivated, one that has an urgency to proclaim Christ and disciple its members to live like Christ-like lives in their worlds of influence. I was certainly moved. In discussing all this with my daughter, she mentioned a similar object lesson that the pastor had used the week before we visited. I'll share that one with you after our first song call. Lord, I stand in the midst of a multitude of those from every tribe and tongue, we are your people, redeemed by your blood, rescued from death by your love. Oh yes, there are no words good enough to thank you. There are no words to express my praise. Oh, my God. 
in discussing the uniqueness and effectiveness of the elastic band object lesson that we had experienced whilst visiting the church that she attends in California, my daughter explained that their pastor had been developing a series of messages based on the parable of the prodigal son. The previous week, she said, during the service and in line with the pastor's message content that day, obviously one of the main points of his sermon, the pastor had handed out to the congregation square pieces of paper. He then asked the people, the congregation, to write the name of someone for whom they were motivated to pray on that piece of paper. Perhaps, he said, it would be a family member who needed to be saved, or an office colleague that was sick, or a backsliding friend, someone who was in need of prayer. After they had done this and written a name, the pastor then walked them through the exercise of making paper planes out of those pieces of paper. I know what you're thinking. Is this really a spiritual exercise? Is this something that adults should be doing as a worship during a Sunday morning service? Well, I admit, when she first said it, I was a little surprised and wondered where she was going with the story. As she continued, though, I was intrigued, and I guess that I was becoming quite fascinated as I began to realize the significance of the object lesson for you. You see, when they had folded their paper planes properly, the congregation was then asked to send them flying through the sanctuary. Once launched, every person in the church was supposed to catch one of these paper planes for themselves. Are you asking why? The pastor explained that this was to be a part of their prayer plan for the following week, to pray earnestly and steadfastly for the person whose name was written on their paper plane, a person that they probably didn't even know, the person whose name they had caught flying by, and not even knowing what was the exact purpose for which they should pray for that individual added a dimension to their prayer vigil for the week ahead. It created an atmosphere of faith and trust and discipline in talking to God and asking for God's miraculous intervention in whatever matter was needed for that particular person whose name they had been assigned by chance in a matter of speaking. Or could it be that God would ensure that people caught the name he wanted them to have? I tell you, it reminded me a little of the verses in Romans where we are told that sometimes we lack the wisdom or the knowledge and sometimes even the words to express our prayers and desires to God. But the Holy Spirit living inside of us prays along with us, expressing precisely the right thing to God because he also knows the need and knows our hearts and can say the right thing to God. I thought how unique and how special and it made me think a little differently about prayer that day and for the following week. We're told to pray without ceasing. Prayer is talking to our Heavenly Father, which we can do with confidence, because the Lord Jesus Christ has opened for us a way so that we can boldly enter into the Holy of Holies with our petitions and make them known to a Heavenly Father who cares about us more than we will ever know.
desire and I long to worship Thee. You alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship And now with this message for today, here is our pastor, Alan Lee. Greetings to you once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to our broadcast. We have been looking at the mysteries of God in the Bible during our previous discussions. Today we want to continue with that theme, and we are going to be looking at the mystery of godliness. Paul deals with this in his epistle to 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. I encourage you, get your Bible and follow along with me as we look into this very vital passage concerning what God is doing through His Son in the world, through His church today. 1 Timothy, chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions, so that, if I am delayed you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. End of quote. Now, what is the mystery of godliness mentioned in this passage? And why is it great? Let's look first of all at the question, what is the mystery of godliness? Now, the common understanding is that it is the incarnation of Christ by which godliness is restored to man. That is, it is the process of God's plan of salvation through which man is born again and then go on to Christ or God-likeness. The six events listed in the passage are seen as the outworking of this process leading to godliness. Now while I agree with this in part, I do not believe that that does justice to the entire context of the passage in which the term is used, nor does it, I believe, do justice to the grammatical structure of the passage. Notice that the concept is included within the context of the purpose for the book of First Timothy. This is what he says, I am writing you these instructions, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Paul is explaining how believers are to behave in the family of God, or we could say, as members of the family of God. He is concerned with our behavior as children of God. Not only that, he is concerned that our behavior reflect the true nature of a living, active God in the world. Let me repeat that because this is so important to our study. Paul is concerned that our behavior as Christians reflect the true nature of a living, 
active God in the world. And he uses two concepts to describe the church's posture and presence in the world. First, he says, it is the pillar of truth. Now, in Greek, the original language of the New Testament, it is the word stylus. It is the church is seen as the stylus of truth, that which is strong and erect and firm. It carries the connotation of holding high or raising high the truth. That is why the church is so important here in the world. The church is to hold high the truth of God in the world if it is to behave properly and to demonstrate its divine origin in the living God. It must hold high the truth of God like a pillar, like a stylus. Now the truth here refers to the objective truth of God's revelation, both to the written word and the living or incarnate word himself, Jesus Christ our Lord. The emphasis here seems to be the incarnate word. This is a part of the mystery of godliness. But the church is not only the pillar of the truth in the world, it is also the foundation of the truth. Now this is the Greek word for pedestal, which implies firmness and something which cannot be moved. Combine then these two concepts of the pillar and the foundation, or the pedestal, refer to the church as being the agency through which God's truth is firmly and unshakably held high in the world. It is grounded in and upon divine truth, and this truth is also both lived out and proclaimed for all to see. And the way this is done, Paul says, is called the mystery of godliness. In other words, the mystery of godliness appears to be not simply the past incarnation of Jesus Christ into the world, although that was a magnificent event, but it's also referring to here in this context, I believe, his present incarnation in the world through his body, the church. Now, I believe that it cannot refer to Christ's incarnation alone. Why? Because his incarnation was spoken of repeatedly in the Old Testament, and therefore it cannot be described as a mystery, hidden scriptures, or hidden God, as the church was. For instance, in Isaiah 7.14, the prophet says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and call him Emmanuel. That was the prophecy of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. That was the prophecy of the incarnation of Christ. You see, this truth is also, also revealed in Isaiah chapter 9. And so Paul is explaining to Timothy and to us that the mystery of godliness in this present age is Christ manifesting or revealing himself, that is the logos of God, the truth of God, in and through a family of believers called the church. 
The mystery, therefore, is the manner in which this divine revelation is manifested. It is done so by the churches living out what and who Christ is in the world. Look at some of the events mentioned here. First of all, Christ has departed out of this world. John 13.1 makes it clear. It says, quote, It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he, loved, he now showed them that love to the fullest extent. Jesus has left the world. But now, we are in the world. John 17.11 Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, meaning people who place faith in him, those who receive him as Savior, his disciples. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one even as we are one. And so why are we here? We are here, first of all, to begin, or rather to continue the ministry that Jesus began. Listen to the, the Apostle Luke. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Verse 43. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. In John 17, 18, he says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And so, he left us in the world to continue the ministry he began. And our standard for our walk and ministry is Christ himself. Listen to what the Apostle John says in 1 John 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. 1 John chapter 4 verse 17 In this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that magnificent? We are like him, Christ, in this world. We then as the church, as the body of Christ are to be like him. We are to reincarnate what he is like in this world. That's the mystery of Godliness. We are to complete his work on earth. Now from a human perspective, we are the only ones who can do this. We who have been chosen by him to become his children are the only ones who can carry out this tremendous ministry of completing the work that Christ began. His task becomes our task because we are organically united to him. The mystery of godliness in 1 Timothy chapter 3 then is the clearest and most detailed description of how we are to complete his work on earth. As his body we are to be and to do right now exactly what he was and what he did while he was on earth. As a result we too can anticipate being glorified at the completion of the task, even as he was when he had completed his task. Our life is hid with God in Christ. When he appears in glory, we too shall appear with him. That's how 
organically united we are with our blessed Savior. And so this intimate relationship and identification in both ministry and lifestyle with Christ is presented in this text in six parallelisms. I call it the mystery of God fearing in and by the church. The mystery of God fearing behavior in and by the church. Now we're going to be looking at this in detail at our next broadcast. But until then, just think on these things. The believer is so organically united to Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we are to live out His lifestyle on this earth. We are to be the incarnated Christ on this earth while we're waiting for him. Now that has to do with our behavior, our lifestyle, because that's what this text is talking about. How we are to behave in the household of God until Christ comes back. How is that? We are to be like him. To do what he did and to be what he was. We're going to see this as we look at this text next time. Until then, as always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila. Think, and again I say, think on these things. It can happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It could happen in a moment, he could break the eastern sky. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be It could happen in a moment
in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again.